Discovery, and we are up to number five this week uh, that is called The Company We Enjoy. And A.W. Tozer says this, he says, where we go when we are free to go where we will is a near infallible index of character. And so this idea of, of who we hang out with outside of the kind of constraints of work or, or college or those, those kind of groups of people that we're essentially forced to spend time with. You don't choose your colleagues always, do you? Some of you are saying, I definitely do not choose my colleagues. Um, and sometimes we don't even choose our family. But, uh, <laughs> but those people who that we're kind of forced to spend time with, it's not those that he's talking about. It's the, it's the people that we choose to hang out with, where we've got the freedom to make a choice, to surround ourselves with certain people. It's those people that actually highlight our character and, and actually in many cases will dramatically influence and impact who we are and who we will become. And so that is what I believe Tozer is making kind of his driving at when we're asking this question around the company that we enjoy. And so I thought about this message and in all honesty, uh, any points that I would have brought out as part of this particular message, I covered about a month ago when we launched our life group series and I preached a message around the importance of community and the people that we choose to surround ourselves with. Um, And so rather than preaching the same message again, which perhaps would have made my life a little bit easier, but maybe you would have fallen asleep uh, more easily, we're going to move on to the next point, which actually works out really well because it means we can wrap up this series before the last Sunday of this month when we've got a guest preacher coming in, Dr. John Andrews, previously the principal of Mattersea Bible College. He is an, a phenomenal Bible teacher. And so I implore you to get to that service the last Sunday in the month. But that means that we can do point six today, point seven next week, and we can round it off uh, really nicely. Sound good? Okay, so this week, part six, we are looking at the question of who and what we admire. Who and what we admire. So let's just define that word admire before we go any any further. It says to regard an object or person with respect or approval, having qualities to excite wonder. I like that. And to see something or someone worthy of esteem, reverence, praise, or worship. So that is admiration. So let me ask you a question, and this is the one moment, Ray, where you're actually allowed to feed back to me. Who are some people that you admire or you have admired in your past? Come on, just throw some names at me. Billy Graham, Graham, great. Nelson Mandela. Mandela. Come on, people, don't be shy. Ray Bevan Bevan in the house. (laughs) What do you say? Georgie Best, Mick Jagger, <laughs> Mick Jagger, a whole bunch of people. Who are you saying? What did you say? Oh, I thought you said something. Oh, all right. A whole bunch of people that we admire, isn't it? And you know, for me, I went through phases. So as I kind of grew up, those people that I admire changed throughout time. So as I was a kid, my, the people that I looked up to were absolutely TV characters. So superheroes. It was probably for me the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the Power Rangers. They were who I wanted to be. I wanted the costumes. I wanted the outfits. I wanted the powers. That is absolutely kind of who I was admiring as a kid. Um, but I also remember quite vividly this 
one moment. I was sat in my dining room next to my dad and I'd got his old briefcase and inside this briefcase I had a calculator and notepad and a pen and he was sat, I don't even remember what he was doing, he was probably just checking through his finances or whatever it was. But I got this briefcase out on the table and I took out the calculator and the notepad and the pen and I began to work essentially next to him. I had no idea what I was doing, I was just punching numbers and scribbling on a bit of paper but essentially I was imitating what I thought he was doing because he was someone that I had admired growing up. And so I was kind of imitating and mimicking his behaviours. And then as, as I got on to college, um, I remember that this new kid came to sixth form. When we got in sixth form, this new kid on the block arrived and he was cool and all the girls were interested in him and he had a great taste in music. I went to his house. He had this incredible house with the, my absolute dream, an attic bedroom. And so I admired this guy. I looked up to this guy. And then, you know, when I got to work, it was kind of maybe colleagues or bosses who were inspirational and aspirational, and I would look up to them and, and maybe mimic some of their behaviors and become to, you know, kind of work out things in the same way that they did. And, you know, even now, just reflecting on the people that I admire now, you know, as a pastor, I look up to other pastors and the way that they kind of do their ministry, some of whom perhaps fall into that category of celebrity pastors. I love Rich Wilkerson Junior from Voo Church. I love Pastor Judah Smith from Church Home. Not necessarily them as, as whole people because I don't know them. I just know their ministry. And so I look at the way they do, uh, they preach, the way they do church, and I admire something about them. And you know, I was with uh, Aaron Partington this week, a guy from Life Church, many of you will know. And I admire a lot about the way he does church and he does leadership. And so it's great to have these people in our lives that we look up to, that we admire, whether you label them as heroes or, or role models, whatever it may be, or whether it's just that you notice something in them and you think, I like that. I want to try and replicate that in my life somehow. Tozer said this, he said, I have long suspected that the great majority of evangelical Christians, while kept somewhat in line by the pressure of group opinion, nevertheless have a boundless admiration for the world. We can learn the true state of our minds by examining our unexpressed admirations. He goes on to say, Israel often admired, even envied the pagan nations around them and so forgot the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the law and the promises and the fathers. Instead of blaming Israel, let us look to ourselves. So he's asking us once again a challenging question to, to look at ourselves, to go on this journey of self-discovery, of soul discovery and you know taking that example of the of the Israelites you know Moses went up Mount Sinai and he was he was spending time with God he was hearing from God and yet the Israelites down on the ground just got so bored of waiting that they decided to build themselves an idol they built themselves a golden calf to to just to worship because they were bored and 
And also, you know, they found themselves being so envious, like he says, of the, of the pagans, of their, their lifestyle, of perhaps their wild living, oftentimes their sexual promiscuity, and all of that, that actually they forgot everything that they knew. They forgot the examples of their fathers. They forgot the laws that had been put in place to help them to live a life that was honoring to God. And instead, they chose to live this life that was just straight up sinful. They forgot everything. And so I believe that as we go on this journey of self-discovery, it's important that we ask ourselves who and what we admire. Who and what we admire. Are the people that we are looking up to, are they worthy of our attention? Are they worthy of our admiration? Are the people who we admire, the people who we look up to, are they encouraging us to grow or are they enabling us to fall? The reality is that who or what we admire is an indication of the focus and of the direction of our life. And so the question I'm asking right now at the beginning of this message is, is your present admiration an accurate reflection of the person and the direction you want to be going? So as I was thinking about this idea of, of admiration, what I found myself kind of leaning into is actually there's this fine line between admiration and comparison, between admiration and comparison. And that's really dangerous because admiration can be really positive and it can be encouraging and it can help to build us up and to turn us into, mold us into the people that we were called and created to be. But comparison, just on the other side of this really fine line, can lead to discontentment. It can lead to discouragement. It can lead to jealousy. And so when we cross that line, we can be at risk of falling into what I call the comparison trap. So let me read to you from, uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 18, just an example of this. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 6 to 9. It says this. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all of the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can we have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David, it says, from that day on. Instead of celebrating with David at his success, at, at all that he had achieved, Saul chose instead to compare himself with what these ladies were singing, that he's being given the, the admiration for tens of thousands, and yet Saul only for thousands. He decided to compare himself with the results that they were praising of David, and then that began to fuel within him this anger that ultimately led him to try and kill David on multiple occasions. And there's other examples throughout Scripture. You just need to think of, of Joseph, 
and how his, his brothers compared him to themselves and the way he was treated to, by his father to the way they were treated by his father. And they were then again fueled with this envy and this jealousy of Joseph and again ultimately led them to trying to kill him. They sold him into slavery. There's such a danger particularly in the world that we're living in with the prevalence of social media and celebrity culture, that actually we can fall into this comparison trap. Because we might look at the, the highlight reel of the rich and the famous, or even the Instagram stories of our friends and family and think, wow, look at the life that they are living. Why don't I have that life? But the truth is, it is just a highlight. It is just a highlight reel. These are the best bits. No one goes on Facebook and shares the miserable day that they have had. We just go, look at this incredible house I've got. Look at my beautiful child. Not look at my child when he's kicking and screaming in the supermarket floor and having a tantrum. It's only the best bits. And so we find ourselves kind of drawn into this idea of asking, why have they got it so good? Why do they go on these nice holidays? Why do, why do they have these latest phones? Why do they have the flashiest cars and I'm driving around in a Fiat Panda? Why, why is God blessing them more than he is blessing me? You know, there's a number of dangers when it comes to this idea of the comparison trap. Because we're just seeing the highlights. We're just seeing the best bits. Even when it comes to testimonies shared in church, people might get up and say, God has blessed me in this. Look at the, the great things that God has done. Glory to God. And that is absolutely great. We should be doing that. But we don't know the struggles necessarily that went before that or even the other areas of their lives where they are battling with depression or anxiety or financial worries. We're just getting this glimpse of this one good moment and we compare ourselves to them and we fall into this comparison trap. And so when admiration turns into comparison, comparison then fuels envy and it fuels bitterness and it fuels jealousy. And so when we recognize that pattern in our lives, we've got to check ourselves. We've got to check ourselves. And so another danger when it comes to this comparison trap is the, the, the kind of mindset that actually is really toxic as believers, as followers of Christ. It's this mindset that actually God's blessings are limited because we might hear tales of someone else's blessing. And we might hear this incredible thing that God is doing in someone else's life. And yet instead of celebrating with them because God has blessed them and God is doing a great work in their lives, sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we hear that great report and we think, but why isn't God answering my request? Why isn't God coming through for me when he's blessing them, but not, not me? It's, maybe they shouldn't have received their blessing so I can receive my blessing. It comes from this place that perhaps without even realizing it, we're thinking God's blessings are limited. If they've been blessed, then I can't be blessed. 
If they're getting good reports, then I can't get good reports. But let me tell you this this morning in case you need to hear it. God's blessings are not limited. The goodness of God is not limited. He has got enough for everyone. He has got enough for all. If this person has received a great blessing from God, you can receive a great blessing from God. If they've got a good report because of what God is doing, you can have a good report because of what God is doing. Don't be envious. Don't be jealous of someone else's report. Celebrate with them. Rejoice with them. And keep on praying and believing for your answer to prayer because God's blessings are not limited. We need to celebrate with them instead of resenting them. You know, it reminds me of the parable of the workers because those who, were, who had been hired at the beginning of the day, the, the vineyard owner had agreed with them, you come in for the day, I will give you one denarius after you have worked the full day. And so they were like, yeah, great, I've got a job for the day. Off they go into the fields, they do their thing. And then you know the story throughout the day, other people are recruited, some of them at midday, some of them at the last hour of the day. And when it comes to ch- checking out at the end of the day getting their wages the first crowd of work the slog of the whole day they get the agreed one denarius and in that moment they're sorry no so they started didn't they with the ones who were hired last they'd just done one hour's work and they got given this gift of one denarius and those who'd slogged for the whole day looked at what they had got and instead of celebrating with them Wow, how generous is this vineyard owner that even with just one hour's work, you are being gifted with a full day's wage. Instead of that, they began to grumble. Well, if they're getting that, why am I not getting five times the amount? There was this comparison. But had he given to them first, they'd have been like, thank you very much. This is exactly what we agreed. This is a fair salary for what I have worked. But they fell into this comparison trap and that led to discontentment, to discouragement, to jealousy. But also this idea of comparison, it can also lead to pride and to self-righteousness like the parable that Jesus told of the, of the tax collector and the Pharisee who go to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, he stands up in very public display and says, thank you, God, that I am not like this tax collector because I pray and I tithe and I fast and I do all of the things that you want me to do. Thank you that I am not like him. And then the tax collector, in honest humility, just says, God, I am a worthless sinner. Bless me. We need to be careful not to fall into this comparison trap, whether that's jealousy or envy or the other side of pride and self-righteousness. And I think another thing to, to kind of think about when we're asking ourselves this question of who or what it is that we admire the most, and it's this, are they an inspiration or are we becoming an imitation? Are they an inspiration or are we becoming an imitation? Are we allowing these things, these, these characteristics, these people that we admire to be an inspiration to us Or are we just becoming an imitation, a cheap knockoff, a wannabe? 
essentially trying to be something that we are not. Again, this is another fine line that we walk when it comes to this idea of admiration because what we admire influences who we become. Have you ever noticed that the more time you spend with someone, the more like them you become? The more time you spend with someone, the more like them you become. I have a friend who is a a pastor, a preacher, and uh, his senior pastor would often say, hello? So he'd be preaching and perhaps the congregation weren't feeding back enough. It it essentially became a habit to him. He'd just kind of every now and then, hello? Hello? And my friend who sat underneath this pastor, well, then he began to do this. So he'd be preaching and then he'd be going, hello? That wasn't his thing. He just copied this other guy. He just took on the characteristic of this, of his senior pastor. And Ruth and I do the same thing. We have got a whole bunch of things that we both say because we spend so much time together. So let me just try and think of some examples. Um, So there's a friend's quote. I don't need to bore you with the context. But Ross says, sometimes I feel, and is about to go into this kind of deluge. And so whenever we hear, or like we're watching TV, or someone in the room says, I feel like, and then we we will just both go, sometimes I feel, without even, we're saying it together at the same time. And um, does anyone know Sarah Beanie of like the property renovation program? So she would go in and this family would be like renovating a house to sell it on. And they'd come up with all these great ideas. And then Sarah Beanie would go, I think, and then give her opinions. And they inevitably would ignore her opinion and do what they wanted to do and would be completely wrong. But she said, I think... And that's another thing that Ruth and I have just picked up and we both say it because we spend so much time together. I've got no idea who started saying these things first, but now we both say them because we spend so much time together. I think if you know, you know about those phrases, but there are absolutely a bunch of others that we say and you'll probably start to pick them up now as you spend more time with us. You'll be like, I've heard John say that when you listen to Ruth talk. But you know, it's good to, to catch hold of people's passion, to catch hold of their enthusiasm. Perhaps you replicate their work ethic or you see something in their parenting and you're like, do you know what? I need to improve in that area of my parenting. And so we begin to, to kind of take on and get encouraged and challenged by the people that we admire. And there is nothing wrong with picking up positive characteristics and behaviors and then applying them to our own lives but we need to be careful that we are taking inspiration and not becoming an imitation that we're taking inspiration and not becoming an imitation why because our differences are God's design our differences are God's design you know the Bible assumes that some people will have more faith than others and that is a gift some people, the Bible says, will have, will have this spiritual gift and others will have that spiritual gift. And that is okay. In fact, the Bible even says that some will be more like Christ than others. And that is also okay. These things are not a sin. It doesn't need to be a cause of jealousy or envy like Saul and David. Instead, it can allow the the celebration and the wonder at the beauty and creativity of our God because we're all unique. Thank goodness. 
We are all different. We all have a unique purpose and place and plan for our lives. We were all gifted with specific roles, specific gifts, specific characteristics that make us who we are. We have all gone through different things in our past that have turned us into the men and women we are are today. And we will go through different things in the future that will again mold us and develop us and shape us into the men and women that we were created to be. We are all unique and we should celebrate that fact. If everybody looked the same, acted the same, spoke the same, it would be boring, wouldn't it? Nothing would get done. Paul described the church as a body, each person as a different part, making up this one whole, this picture of the body of Christ. But each person, he says, with a specific role, with a specific responsibility, in order to advance the kingdom of God, in order to bring glory to God's name. Let me just read to you a portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this, Think of it this way, if the, body, if the whole body were just an eyeball, how could it hear sounds? And if the whole body were just an ear, how could it smell different, different fragrances? But God has carefully designed each member and placed it in the body to function as he desires. A diversity is required, for if the body consisted of one single part, there wouldn't be a body at all. So now we see that there are many different parts and functions, but one body, but one body. So whilst it's good to look up to and to admire certain people and certain characteristics that they display, we need to make sure that we are on the correct side of inspiration and not imitation. Allowing ourselves to grow and to develop because we're taking inspiration from these people that we are surrounding us with. To take inspiration not to become imitations, because we are unique. We should be celebrating our uniqueness and our individuality. So when it comes to who or what we admire, we need to be mindful of the comparison trap, not allowing ourselves either to feel envious or bitter because of uh, those we, are, we look up to are you know, doing amazing or whatever. But similarly, we are, we are not to allow a comparison attitude to fill us with pride or with self-righteousness. We need to make sure that those people that we are surrounding ourselves with, that we are looking up to, that we are perhaps calling our heroes or our role models, we need to make sure that they are worthy of our admiration. And we need to make sure that they are just an inspiration, that we are not becoming an imitation. So whilst it's great to have people that we admire, that inspire us, We need to recognize and celebrate our uniqueness, our individuality. Remember that we are God's creation, that he made each and every one of us, that he knew every one of us before we were even born. And finally, if we accept that this idea that who or what we admire is an indication of the focus and the direction of our life, then there is only one person. There is only one person that we should be admiring above all. There is only one person that can lead and that can direct our life in the way that it should go. And that's the person of Jesus Christ.
He is the only one worthy of our admiration. And that is not to say you shouldn't have heroes and role models that live on this earth. It's great to be inspired by people who are doing great things. But there is only one who is truly worthy of our admiration. And that is Jesus. If you're going to admire anyone, admire Jesus. If you're going to compare yourself to anyone, compare yourself to Jesus. And let that encourage you and challenge you to be a better man, to be a better woman. If you're going to take inspiration from anyone, or even if you're going to imitate anyone, if you fall on that side, let it be Jesus. Let it be Jesus. Paul says, doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me, that is Paul, as I imitate Christ. A different translation says, if you want to pattern your lives, uh, I want you, sorry, I want you to pattern your lives just as I pattern mine after Christ. This isn't a heretical statement. He's not saying, I am as good as Jesus. I am perfect like Jesus. I've got it all together. In fact, in his, in his first letter to Timothy, he describes himself as the worst sinner of all. So he's not saying he's got it made. He's not saying he's perfect. What I believe he's saying is he's making a commitment to being an imitator of Christ, admiring Christ, putting him as his sole focus so that as he can imitate Christ, he can be an inspiration to those who are watching him. He's simply committed to doing all he can to be more and more like Christ each day. Not to better himself, but to be an inspiration to others. So that those that he has brought up in the faith, those that he is encouraging in the faith, can look at this man of God and say, I want to be more like him. He's got something in the way that he does life that I want to be like because he is imitating Christ, the only one who is worthy of our admiration. 19th century British preacher Octavius Winslow, that's a cool name, he said this, There is no single practical truth in the word of God on which the spirit is more emphatic than the example which Christ has set for his followers to imitate. The church needed a perfect pattern, a flawless model. It wanted a living embodiment of those precepts of the gospel so strictly enjoined upon every believer and God has graciously set before us our true model. The whole character of Jesus' life and his obedience to God's commandments, to his Father's instructions, show us as disciples, as followers of Jesus, how to live in this world that we live in. He has set the perfect example of how we should love, of how we should serve, of how we should speak, of how we should give. And his call is the same today as when he walked on this earth. And it's simply, follow me. Follow me. That's what Jesus said. That's what he spoke to his disciples. Follow me. Which simply meant come and sit under my teaching. Sit under my example. And that is his call to us today. Follow me. Follow me. So we should allow our admiration of Jesus to impact 
the way in which we live. John 13 says, we should love one another as he loves us. We should imitate his servant-heartedness because he set the perfect example, didn't he? It says in Matthew 20, the son of man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So many examples. Just read the Gospels. Read the life of Jesus and just take note of his behaviours, of his words, of the way that he treated uh, women and, and downcast and lepers. Just look at the example that he set of how to treat people, how to love people, how to talk, how to behave. Let that be the focus of your admiration and let that challenge and inspire the way that you live. Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And who embodies all of that? Jesus. There is no better role model. There is no better person worthy of our admiration, is there? No one. So as I wrap this up, I just want to make, I just want to take a moment to have a super quickfire, and I mean quickfire look, at who and what Jesus admired. Because yes, we can have Jesus as the focus of our admiration, but as part of that, let's look at who and what he admired. In Matthew 18, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called to him a child. And he put this child in the midst of them and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What did Jesus admire? He admired the honest innocence of children. This example is so profound. If you were to create a list of who Jesus might have put in front of people as someone or something to admire, you'd assume he'd pick heroes of the faith, that he'd pick Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and, and all of those other kind of heroes of the faith. And yet here, Jesus grabs a small child and puts it in their midst and says, we need to become like one of these. This is who I admire. He admired the faith of the centurion who understood that Jesus only needed to speak one word and his servant would be healed. He admired that man's level of faith. He admired, as we talked about last week, the, the widow's offering of just two small copper coins in the temple. He admired her heart of giving out of her lack, this sacrificial offering that she made. That's another thing that he admired. And Jesus also admired Mary, didn't he? For choosing the good portion, for choosing to sit at his feet. And he also admired her for anointing him with oil, even though others were judging her and criticizing her. So many examples littered throughout the Jesus story of who he admired. And we can take inspiration from that. So I encourage you, Delve further into the Gospels. Read the Jesus story and see not only the perfect example of who we should admire, but also who it was that he admired and what it is that we can learn 
from that. So we're asking the question today, who or what do you admire? Who or what do you admire? Are we admiring people who build us up? Or are we admiring people who tear us down? Are we allowing the focus of our admiration to direct our lives in a direction that we're happy with? If you look at the direction and the pattern of the way that you are living, is it going where you think God would want it to go? And if it's not, then maybe you need to just check, it, check yourselves out in terms of who or what it is that you are admiring because what we admire directs the focus of our lives. And quite simply, are we becoming more and more like Christ each day? Because he is our perfect example. He is the one who we can truly admire, who we can truly imitate, who we can truly take inspiration from. So are we becoming more and more like him? As you leave this place today, are you a little bit more like Jesus than when you came into this place? And if the answer to that question is no, well, maybe you need to ask yourselves, was I giving enough of myself in this service, in the worship? Are we more like Jesus each day as we go into our workplace, as we go into our college? Are we living like Jesus? Are we taking inspiration from the one who we admire and becoming more and more like him? Why don't we pray? So Father God, we do just thank you for the perfect example that you gave us in the person of Jesus Christ. And may he be the one that we admire, the one who we take inspiration from, the one who we imitate on a daily basis. That as we go about our lives, as we interact with people, whether that's at work or college or families or friends or in the supermarket, that actually they're seeing something within us that demonstrates who it is that we admire. Because as we admire you, as we have you as our focus, that will direct the, the pattern of our lives. And so I pray that each and every person here today will put you as their focus, that I will put you as my focus so that we can be, uh, we can be drawn to and directed into the life that you have called us to live, that we can become more and more like the men and women you created us to be and that ultimately we can become more and more like you, our true and perfect example. In Jesus' mighty name.